Hello, welcome to episode three of RIE, Research and Innovation at the University of Northampton. Uh, my name's Hilary Scott and I'm the host of this podcast, which intends to give you a kind of bit of insight into what research is um, for and what it means for people at the University of Northampton. Um, I am the basically the, the idiot in the room here and I get clever people to come and talk to me. So my clever people this week are Scott Turner. Can you explain what you are? Yep, I'm in charge of research for computing and I have an interest in using sensors to gather information and have been known in the past to put uh, mobile phones onto sheep for the, the Fitbit for a sheep project. And we're definitely coming back to that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I am Dr. Michael Opokwajiman, Senior Lecturer of Computing at the University of Northampton. I look after computer systems, so I do have interest in hardware, basically how we can keep making computers faster to meet the demands of the new markets coming up. Okay, and Aldo. Right, my name is Dr. Triantafilos Kanakis, um, Program Leader of uh, Computer Networks. Uh, my research is mainly in um, telecommunications and wireless uh, side of the telecommunications, uh, 3G, 4G, and obviously 5G nowadays. Um, I'm also very interested in the Internet of Things, uh, Industry 4.0. Which I think is what we're going to talk about a little bit more. I'm going to mention the elephant in the room. Last time we were talking to, um, by coincidence, all women. Uh, we're now talking about computing, and without meaning to hit a, a stereotype, you're all blokes. Yep. Why? Why? Why um, haven't we got more women in in computing? Um, we're actually doing better than a lot of other institutions uh, for our students. We're about thirty percent of our students are women, which beats the national average by about twelve percent. Um, we all agree that this is an issue and we don't know the answer but we would love to find out and and it's not that we don't we do have computing staff who are we female do as well, we, don't we? we have uh, across the range because uh, we're quite a broad church if you like covering uh hardware side to software design so and uh the business side especially uh is is actually led by t uh three of the women uh, yeah um so it's something that i, I mean I, I i just always have to mention kind of when you look at um science and technology and we were talking about this last month um is it why do kind of girls at primary school where they don't seem to have any inhibitions about taking up kind of computer science or science in general it kind of seems to go off it in secondary school um I mean, I'm sure we could talk endlessly about that, but I think that because what we're going to talk about today is a little bit of um, the Internet of Things, which I'm going to get one of you to explain properly in a minute, why does my fridge talk to me, or something along those lines. Um, but actually, what you do affects absolutely everybody, so there is no kind of logical reason why women wouldn't be interested in computing or or be good at computing. I think it's the, we were discussing last month about maths as well, but anyway, um, and I missed off your your title actually, Scott, at the beginning, I'm so sorry. I, I, didn't in, I didn't include your endless amounts of research that you've done over the years in order to give you a title. Okay. Um. <laughs> you are actually a doctor. 
I am, yes. Yes, I, I don't. I never want to kind of not include people's kind of the fact okay. that you do, you do, do, you have done a lot more than me. I am not a doctor. Um, so we're talking about um, things that are in the in the news, if you like, in terms of computing at the moment is um, machine learning. Are, are, is computing, is, is AI going to take over humans' jobs? They're all shaking their heads. Um, and we mentioned the Internet of Things. So, Aldo, can you explain what the Internet of Things actually means? Right. The Internet of Things is um, it's not very new, to be honest. It's been around for the past decade, at least. And the main idea is that anything that has power supply can potentially connect to the Internet. And if anything that has a power supply can connect to the internet, then that means that we can control it from a remote location, or it can produce information that makes sense to a human or makes sense to a machine. And this information, uh, given appropriate analysis, can allow us uh, make predictions, uh, forecast uh, certain behaviors of a system, and so on. Uh, let me give you the example. If we had a sensor in the lights in this room, we could know when somebody's in the room, when they use the lights, if it's dark, if it is bright, and all these things. Um, so the Internet of Things uh, started as a very small project trying to control um, small um, sensors like light sensors, temperature sensors, and so on. But now they control the production of massive industries. So where people see adverts for your, um, you're able to change the heat and turn your heating on before you, you know, on the train on the way home. That's what pe people who are not in kind of the world of computing will understand as. The main idea is not for you to be able to turn on the heating before you arrive home, but the system, your home to know what time you go home and had it on before Okay, so it's uh, it's anticipation. It's not just that the not just make it smart, but make it intelligent. Make it okay. to the next level now. Okay, I, I I can barely use a mobile phone, so that's that's me out. Um, and you you were talking about attaching something to a sheep um, yep. earlier on. I'm I'm making no jokes at all. I'm going to let you explain. Okay, um, along with uh, a research student. Um, three members of staff of FAST worked on this idea that could you track lameness in sheep? So we put mobile phones onto sheep. <laughs> and her, this actually links quite well with what Aldo was saying about the intelligence. The main project wasn't to capture that information, it was to process it, to analyze it, use intelligent techniques to say that sheep is lame, that sheep's it's starting to be lame, and that sheep's fine. So yeah, so we did have sheep running around with mobile phones on their necks. Yeah, and they didn't because they're sheep. They didn't try and get them off. Or nope. no, nope. obediently. They obediently. I mean, the the idea wasn't eventually to always have a mobile phone. It would be to have a much cheaper device to go on there. But this was how we were capturing the data to proof of concept. And is this, you know, are you finding as kind of I was about to call you mathematicians, but as kind of computer experts, your your research is being um, directed towards a kind of a commercial output, I well, suppose. That's fine. We're all actually we're all engineers, so 
that commercial output is something we would look at and be interested in. So we all we were about applying applying our, t our skills, if you like, to solve problems. And and Michael, where are you kind of? Are you sort of? Are you having to kind of future proof in a in an industry that is basically changing every five minutes? How how can you plan ahead? when you're teaching something and you're researching something that literally changes, you know, with the wind? That's an interesting question to ask, actually. Um, so we f do find ourselves in a world that is fast growing. And actually, uh, we sit in a good position because as engineers, all three of us, within computing, we need to keep ourselves updated regularly. So being part of professional bodies um, is a good thing that we all are part of. And also, we do incorporate our research findings in our teaching. So not only are our students learning the state of the art, they are also taking part in projects that lead into research and feed back into the next batch of students. And I'm sure three of us can draw on examples that, uh, of projects that we've supervised that lead into Internet of Things and also lead even into our PhD supervisions as well. A good example is actually a rehabilitation project that I worked on recently with a master's student. And the project looks at helping stroke patients. So basically a stroke patient can learn or train the brain how to learn to move the limbs again. And um, this system aims at using games. So stroke patients can basically play games in their house and the system will automatically monitor the way they move their body and send information to the therapist and the therapist can remote, remotely adjust um, the game's level of difficulty to help the stroke patients as well. And from computing's perspective or from our perspective, what is happening is some form of sensing and the sensing is being processed and being sent remotely and we can have a close feedback where remotely we set some parameters and it comes back. And this system feeds into various projects and that is propelling um, the future and the future is also propelling our research. So it's form of a closed loop. Yeah, and the interesting thing as well, because we know as working in academia, that we can silo ourselves a little bit in our own subject area and and never i mean it's been a, a, an interesting thing actually moving to a new campus because uh, we we moved to a new campus in, a couple of years ago where we were on a split campus before so we kind of have to talk to people outside our own subject area now which i think is is useful and interesting kind of generally yeah and to break a stereotype i think the computing teams especially the research side of the computing team we do that a lot we we work with <laughs> Do you want to work with us? Fine, we'll work with you. Um, I think that's something that comes across quite strongly in what we do. We're quite interdisciplinary. Yeah, we're interested in, in everything, basically. And uh, we, yeah, we we seem to find projects across the board. Yeah, well, you, you, because you, when I first met you, uh, you were doing something with little robots. Mm -hmm. To update me on the little robots. Well, we've done several things. I used to use. Uh, robots in my teaching uh, to get do with problem solving but we've also played around with an idea called swarm robots I had a, a mem a, an MSc student working playing with these little tiny robots that they interact with each other but indirectly they bounce light off the floor just so they can start 
not having to be centrally controlled and start doing wonderful, th exciting things. It, it, you lot have more fun than I do. Um, Aldo, where's your research at the moment? What are you, what are you doing? Right, uh, my research right now is on the 5G air interface mainly. Now, just for the idiots like me, okay, I know my phone right. is 4G enabled. That's okay. about the limit of my knowledge of what the G's mean. So you might have to explain right. for idiot every, me. Every time we put a G and uh, <laughs> behind a name, actually, we refer to a brand new generation. Uh, the the fifth uh, generation of mobile telephony is actually a new architecture and uh, new capabilities that uh, has been developed in order to incorporate the Internet of Things, to incorporate uh, cloud computing, edge computing. So we are trying to uh, uh, develop solutions for all type of services the users might demand over the time. Um, in the recent years, we watch TV over the Internet we have all these uh, subscription-based uh, services, uh, and most of the people do not want to turn on broadcasting TV anymore because obviously it plays the, the advertisements and the, all these things, and they're more comfortable watching their favorite movies on demand or their favorite uh, series. That means that you need a lot more bandwidth, and many users nowadays are using their mobile phones to transmit video and uh, high data streams uh, on their mobile phones. So we need to accommodate this demand for bandwidth. And that is the role of 5G, 6G, which has now started being under the investigation, under the scope. And uh, This is where governments stuff. get twitchy, don't they? Because there is a perception that, um, say, one country, i.e. China, has the technology and the... Um, to and and is selling their kind of technology, if you like, their ability to to produce this kind of um, level of service to people. But then governments get all twitchy about, well, are we letting other governments have access to our data? Surely everyone's got access to our data anyway, or am I just being blasé? That now raises the question of the Industry 4.0. One of the biggest challenges of Industry 4.0 is what will happen in the market not in the technology. The technology is already there and we know that with the progression rates that we see today, we will have the technology a lot earlier than we ever expected. The question is the market. Right now, the, the greatest manufacturer in the world is China and India. Imagine now that we have robots, so cheap labor, and we can have an industry just across the street. And we can produce our mobile phones, our appliances, our cars, just down the road. That would make uh, um, production much easier, much cheaper. And the most important thing is we will not need to import that anymore. Then the world's market changes in a day. So the fourth industrial revolution is not about the technology, it's not about the robotics or machine learning or artificial intelligence. The uh, Industry 4.0 is a brand new way of making business. So obviously the big manufacturers right now will resist this change. Namely because they want to export their goods, they want to sell their goods all over the world. Of course, that is why they have cheap labour, that is why they want to control the international market. So yeah, so we're, we've gone from, from 
being able to watch telly on your on your phone to actually this is a global political socio-political issue um basically i i mean i i'm old enough to remember watching tomorrow's world in my you know youth um and then making claims about how when um and, and I have this problem with my students, as I'm sure you do. They don't. They don't remember a, a time when they didn't have smartphones um, and the internet. Whereas I am considerably older than that, and I do remember when they were saying on Tomorrow's World, one day you'll be able to choose which films you watch on your television, mm. and we were like, "Wow, that's <laughs> going to be amazing!" And it's come so far, so fast. Or is that just because I'm old? Um, the 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 change from say mid eighties when computer studies started to be taught at secondary schools well certainly in my experience I don't even think it was an option at my school until you were in the what is used to be called the fifth form which I'm gonna I'm gonna say is year eleven now I think yeah. yes um, quick yes yeah <laughs> um, so. So how can we anticipate the speed of change with how we teach? Because the problem is when we teach, we, we're on a basic four to five year cycle. So we have to decide kind of what, our, what we're going to deliver to students, certainly undergraduate students, for kind of... I mean, I remember when we were in journalism, we had to take out... We had to start including social media at a point where social media was relatively new and we had to be quite careful about the language that we used in our descriptions because we did just didn't know what was going to take off and what was going to get dropped. I mean, I, I give you MySpace, which, mm -hmm. if you remember, was going to change everything and actually doesn't really exist anymore. Um, how are you, as practitioners, how do you stay current? Well, I think the research helps with that because that forces you to know what's going on and, and hopefully you're adding to it. Um, there's always this idea that computing is so rapidly changing, but there are lots of principles that haven't changed in a long time. So it's some of the things we do now, they're still going to be relevant 10, 20 years in the future. And are you talking in terms of kind of basic coding? Does coding... Coding, but also some of the, I, the basic ideas behind how a computer works is... It's adapted. Well, the, the changes all come along that have built on that, the... This is Michael's area more than mine, but um, how we get processors to do more is actually still built on some very old ideas. Come on then, Michael. It's your area. So it is It is more more like a scaffolding effect, actually. And so because we basically build in on some fundamental principles, new tools are emerging daily, and especially on the fact that you said um, after the 80s, technology has grown so fast. But it doesn't mean that the research was done in the 90s. The research was done and the findings were predated that. Um, but it's become possible because technology has enabled it. We've reached the point where we can put more processing power on a small area. So we do have mobile phones that are as powerful as computers or desktop computers or even mainframes in the past or even some supercomputers from years ago. So if since that is possible, um, we've reached the age where we can do processing on the go. That makes Internet of Things possible. That makes 
teaching challenging, but challenging in the sense of being aware of the current tools that are being made available. And this is also partly moved by the open source system because everybody is contributing to knowledge these days. And it's not really about having the money and being able to sell things out there. You can actually contribute to knowledge. So knowledge is actually coming from the community and being research active, being a maker, being a hobbyist, loving what you do actually helps a lot. And we do learn a lot from our students as well because they are more than willing to introduce us to stuff that they are learning. So being open-minded helps. Yeah, open source actually is a revelation when I came into education because I came from journalism where I came from newspapers where, you you know, it's almost frowned upon to say hello in the pub mm -hmm. to an opposition journalist because, you know, you, 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 you hung on to your knowledge and your and you're, you know, so that you were always first and you always broke things first. And what I love about the academic community is that idea of sharing knowledge and not kind of feeling like that, you know, you're going to get somehow gazumped um, and somebody's going to steal your ideas. I'm, I'm sure it probably does happen, but, you know, there are there are things in place. Um, so how, um, if you're kind of looking at something that's got this, this scaffolding in, involved, uh, where the the problem with the this kind of idea of of us being able to do anything by involving or using computing technology and i'm using that phrase really loosely what about the raw materials and i'm going to show my ignorance here because don't you need specific metals or elements to be able to make microprocessors and no i'm getting a i'm getting a nod i'm getting a shake aldo yours all right um, um i'm stepping into michael's fields now <laughs> 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 what has happened and has been observed in the past maybe 10 years now uh, the processing power hasn't increased significantly anymore. The problem is they use uh, silicon, they use a specific uh, uh, material that the conducts of silicon cannot become any smaller anymore, which means that we cannot make them faster. The transmission between two different components inside this circuit cannot become any smaller anymore. So uh, that means that we have reached, in a sense, uh, the computational uh, power we can get from silicon. However, researchers right now are investigating possibility of using different material. And I know it might sound a little bit crazy, but they believe that the best way to store and process data is actually the DNA, the human DNA, or the living DNA, the animal DNA, anything that has blood. So actually, I was... Uh, hang on a minute. So instead of storing data on a microprocessor, you can store it on DNA? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We haven't, got, we, haven't, we haven't... That's not commercial. That's yet. not commercial, no. obviously, and that's but very far from becoming commercial, but... But isn't um, that... What about the ethics? <coughs> Uh, the ethics. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's a big difference from uh, going to the butcher to buy a steak. Really. Ah, but we know in the last couple of years, you know, there's been a, a real move uh, away from kind of meat consumption because of the the concerns about climate change and how much the commercial production of meat. So if we're 
if we're I'm concerned about s- that. I'm not going to step in this, uh, <laughs> in this field. It's not my expertise, and I love my uh, stakes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it w- can I was be re- done, is what you're saying. What I was reading was um, uh, an article by um, a relatively uh, funny author who, in the end, he concluded that maybe we will buy our new hard drive from the butchers. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> uh, obviously, that, uh, that's a joke. That obviously that's the vegetarians is something out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit... Well, uh, still uh, DNA in the plants. DNA, of course. Mm. Of course, yes. I didn't do very well at science. You'll, you'll be able to tell. Um, but, it, but genuinely, is that, uh, is that where we're going? Are we going... I'm looking at Michael now. <laughs> So expectantly, considering where where we are, uh, where we c- where we've come from, and where we're going, as far as where we're going, there are a lot of obj- um, possibilities that we are exploring. As to where we are, we've reached um, the stage where actually increasing processing power is actually challenging. There is something called Moore's law, where which is actually steering computing and engineering in terms of high-performance computing these days. And the whole idea is how much processing power that we can put in a small space. So even if we could continue shrinking silicon size or transistor size or in terms of circuit building, the issue is that the clock is like a human being, really. You know, if you are very strong, you can run really fast, but your heart cannot survive it or your heart cannot work at that rate. You will still fail, your system will fail. So there is something called a clock which is actually skewing and it's not being able to keep up with this processing power. So currently we are trying different technologies where we put two different processes together. Actually, we've reached the medical era where we have thousands of processes in a a small space. So we are looking into different technologies, but as as to where we are now for the next couple of years, we are looking at putting several processing power together. It's the analogy of having one chef in a kitchen or putting two of them or putting more of them than you can cook for more people. So that... In itself, as far as research, driving research is concerned and being able to meet this, yes, the answer to the question is that it takes special technology to fabricate a microcontroller, for instance, but you don't necessarily need to fabricate a microcontroller to explore its power or its possibilities. There are simulators in place, there are softwares in place, and thanks to guys like Scott and Aldo, we can have different softwares, different solutions, we can have different AI technologies, we can have different networking technologies. So actually, in hardware, Putting the two chefs in one kitchen, the chefs need to talk among themselves yeah. in order to work effectively. And what is happening even at the, mic- at the nanotechnology level, or even microscopic level, is that we are adapting networking. We still have to be able to predict the workload coming. We still have to be able to predict the end user's performance, and that is where AI also comes in. So. Altogether, we have these small pieces fitting together like a jigsaw to solve the Internet of Things puzzle, to make the world a better place for everybody. I agree, and I think one of the most exciting technologies is this edge, te- edge computing. Shifting the processing onto small little devices is now possible. Some quite sophisticated AI can now go onto some very low-cost, relatively low-cost devices. So the processing can be done at the device level and then send stuff out, pre-processed. 
that's gonna that's interesting but all this isn't this making people I mean, I mean, I include myself in this. If you don't understand, kind of, uh, if you're not, you know, if you don't keep up to date with kind of computing and AI, and um, you get confused between your AI and your, your AR, and you don't know a, you know, a byte from a bit. Oh, it's probably not a thing. Um, how you you re, you hear in the news, and I know I'm probably responsible for a bit of this, is that people say. Uh, We've come such a long way in such a short period of time um, that it's now got to the stage where jobs are going to be at risk. And if you don't have a job, it makes it, you know, your standard of living changes and people are kind of saying, oh, we can't, you, you know, you can't take the human out of things because ultimately... Okay. Okay, I'm going to let him get in. Um, I think most AI machine learning specialists would actually say the human element is very important. The design of the tools, the actual design of the thing you're going to do with it, needs a strong human element. A lot of the intelligence is the human in the first place, putting that in there. Uh, job losses, I don't know. If you, look at, if you look at various authors, they give you quotes from 13 million to actually an increase of 2 million for these kind of activities. I think there will be job changes. Um, but there's always going to be job changes, um, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm not being flippant about this. I just feel that the tech, some there will be job losses, but there'll be, there will be other opportunities that come out of this. We see this already with social media and all the various things. That well, we look also, at my industry, you yeah. know, but people still consume newspapers, but they might not go into a shop and buy one. They, they consume it online. They almost don't know that they're yeah. reading a newspaper because it's not packaged as it used to be um, and I, I think that's kind of it's sometimes people find it quite difficult to get their head around the fact that that it's already here it's not something that's yeah. coming well yeah I mean artificial intelligence is here now every time you make a credit card transaction it probably will be checked by a form of AI to say is this an unusual transaction uh, automatic sorry uh, yeah, automatic number plate recognition will be based around AI technology in some cases. It's here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I spoke to my bank in inverted commas yesterday. I know I wasn't talking to my bank. I wasn't talking to a human. I was talking to an algorithm that was giving me the answers to the keywords that I was putting in. I, you know, I'm aware of that, that there's not actually a person there. But in, in a weird way, because the industry tries to replicate itself as human, um, that you know, then we do have we do you kind of do feel like you're talking to a person. Then when you find out you're not talking to a person, are you disappointed? I don't know. It's it's a kind of odd thing. Well, there's a there's something called Uncanny Valley, which comes from uh, humanoid robotics, where if it looks too human, at a certain point we're uncomfortable with it. It's doesn't you see it with uh, char uh, virtual characters and actors if they look. If we know they're virtual, but they're actually just a look at enough human to make us uncomfortable, people people feel uncomfortable and they don't like it and they'll reject it. Is that why computer games, the the characters on computer games, they never quite get the eyes right on computer games? I think they're just working on it. But what they would like is to, to go past that. So once you've gone past that stage, you can actually get people quite comfortable with it. Now, that's the worrying bit. <laughs> 
And we've only got a couple of minutes left. Sorry, Aldo. I, I have to agree with Scott that um, uh, no, no jobs will be threatened. They will just change. change. Imagine uh, 200 years ago, before we even had radio, TV, no journalist ever believed that they would be in front of a microphone. Okay, but technology made them, you know, come in front of a microphone and get to the wider uh, public, you know, instantly, not going to the shop and buy a newspaper. Uh, there are many jobs that they are going to go, that is, that is actually going to happen. However, new job opportunities will come with time. So we are not, uh, we, we are not worried that we were going to change the structure of the society completely. We just believe that uh, the new technologies are, is going to transform and progress the society as well. So in our last kind of couple of minutes, because I think we're probably coming up to the half hour, um, I want a prediction from each of you of a thing. Oh, I see that. This might be throwing it at you a bit. Something that, uh, that, that the listener might not anticipate is coming down the line. Okay. I think we'll see small robots in the home for, for companionship, for some cases in place of pets that interact with it with uh, the user uh, they, they can chat to it they can get involved I think we'll be seeing with an aging population more of that happening it, a dog that you don't have to walk effectively right. okay how do um, <laughs> no, they're pointing right. at each other now. Okay, uh, I'm sure we will see autonomous cars. That's already uh, in the pipeline. Uh, we will see uh, driverless cars. Yeah, that is already but in then the they pipeline. keep crashing into each other. You just think it's a matter of time before they work properly. Uh, do they really crash? Uh, didn't somebody? Hasn't somebody been run over by one in there America? There's been three or four incidents in something like uh, 40 billion hours of trials. Okay. That's not a horrible thing. I think humans make a lot more accidents in 40 billion That's hours true. of driving. That's true. So maybe it's a better solution. I, I have to say, I've seen those little delivery things in Milton Keynes. They still yeah. freak me out, the little robots that the delivery robots? Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, as I live in one of these delivery areas, oh, do you? trust me, they never stop in the day and they are very convenient. <laughs> <Okay>. Super convenient. <laughs> Nobody wants to get dressed just to buy a bottle of milk. You know? Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay. Michael, you've had time now to think of something. Oh, yes. I think we'll see more assistive technology. So basically, we're going to have more technology helping people, especially um, helping aiding the sick or the elderly. And also one that is obvious, but always needs to be said, is that things are going to get cheaper. These technologies are going to get cheaper. So the ones that seem almost impossible to buy or to get will get cheaper over time. Yes, excellent. And I do remember selling mobile phones when they weren't allowed to be sold in shops. You had to go through a broker. And they were a good 1,500 quid, those original sort of brick ones. And then they came down massively in price. Now, they're still quite expensive, but you are carrying like a world in your pocket. So more of this, please, gentlemen. And thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. Scott, Michael thank you. and Aldo. Thanks very much. Thank you.